everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Shift Show, where my number one goal is to bring you the tools, ideas, and the latest science to help you change gymnast lives. Today in the podcast, we are continuing our little mini-series here on the brand new book that I put out, which is The Gymnastics Culture Cure, and this kind of podcast series is really all about highlighting the different concepts inside each chapter and trying to help people get more context and more color and kind of more expansion on some of the topics that I think people are really curious about. And so if you missed it, uh, one and two podcasts were out first. We can put those links down below in the show notes. I really think you should take a, a pause and go back and check them out. They're pretty short. They're only about 20 to 25 minutes on purpose. Um, but it really starts with the base foundation of taking a moment to audit your own personal life and like what matters to you, what are you motivated by, why are you working in gymnastics, and what are the things you care about to change some of the habits maybe you have in your personal life and bring the best version of yourself to the gym. And so I want people to be happier. I want people to be healthier. I want people to enjoy the sport that they're working in like gymnastics. And I want them to be able to reflect a little bit about like, okay, what are the things that are on my plate that I might need to take a little moment of pause and and deal with to then bring the best version of myself to the gym. And so chapter one, that podcast was the first one was about kind of auditing that a little bit. The second podcast was about, okay, let's, let's take a pause and see what can we change to do uh, to, to cope with stress in a better way, right? To have a better, clear alignment of our goals, to make sure that I really care about the things that I'm looking at for my own personal life, that that's going to serve me and those around me the best that I possibly can. And once that foundation is in place, I think now we can go to the actual thing that many people are trying to figure out, which is like, okay, how do you actually craft a gym culture that is healthy, that is happy, that is is full of high-performing people, both on the the coaching and parenting and medical staff, but obviously on the athletic side as the gymists themselves. And in this part of the book, I really like to take a step into this and say, like, listen, the, the most important way to help build a great culture is to start with a foundation of trust. So everything we do in gymnastics is based around trust. And I mean that between parents, I mean that from coach to parent, I mean that from coach to medical provider, from gymnast to you know coach back and forth, from uh, gymnast to gymnast between teammates. Everything we do as humans inside of gymnastics is really based around this foundational aspect of trust. And I talk about in the book how we have to be very aware of this kind of piece of trust and realize that it forms the basis of everything we do, right? If we say we're going to do something, we have to do it. That's how you build trust. It's not by, you know, grandstanding and have these epic speeches. It's about by showing up and doing the work every single day and and saying you're going to do what you do. You build this trust over years. And the other thing that's really important that I cover in this chapter extensively is communication, which is something that's so clichely, you know, kind of just passed over sometimes is like, oh yeah, I talk well, you know, make sure you talk well, all that kind of stuff. But like in, in reality, it is it is like the glue that forms our, our culture and our gym. So if you are not regularly uh, practicing communication skills, but also carving out time to have one-on-one conversations with people and look them in the eyes and put your phone down and listen to what their goals are and listen to what they care about and sometimes it's between coaches or between parents or whatever is like you need to be able to really have good solid communication channels and establish those so you guys can actually talk about what are the problems we're facing what are the things that matter most to us like what are the things that are going well how can we keep doing them how can we support each other and I think a lot of times in the programs I've consulted with when I get into their sessions with them and they actually kind of break things down, oftentimes there's a a lack of communication or a lack of clarity around how we communicate. And those lead to like, you know, maybe like backhanded compliments or, you know, gossiping behind someone's back. And then a month long later, it goes and it kind of festers and comes out. And that's what builds a lot of resentment in cultures, which is toxic. So I really talk about, you know, the ability to set up communication channels. And then from there, we talk about like, okay, we have these things in set. What are the like, you know, guidelines that we're going to all operate by? And I think many, many times, times people do not have a clear set of operational and cultural guidelines that guide them into their decision making like what are the things we care about as a business like what are the legality things the safety things the the 
structure of meat fees, the structure of parenting kind of like channels, all that kind of stuff has to be really drawn out quite extensively inside of a, a guidebook and then referenced when things go sideways or if things are needing to be improved upon. And, and the partner of that is you need cultural guidelines. You need to understand like within this team, within this coaching staff, like what do we value? Like what's important to us? How do we handle problems? How do we deal with goals? How do we deal with people who are being onboarded, what is the important things we care about in those people when they're joining our staff or when we're we're having new parents come on or things like that. So we kind of go through those two pieces and the last part of this just ends with a little bit of uh, t- discussion around lifelong learning and the ability to create systems around everything that we're talking about. So how do you find a staff and a set of parents that are open to learning and you find kids that are really open to learning about themselves and their gymnastics careers and technical development and things like that. How do you build a cultural framework around learning and then systemize things to make sure everyone's on the same page and you can reference those back? So this this one is really the meat of what I think people want to get into. But again, I think without the first and second podcast or chapters around personal development and setting that foundation first, um, it's really hard to get this third one to go into place. So my hope is that by sharing a lot of information on the book and giving more, like I said, color around the context of the, the topics, um, that people are interested in it. And then down below in the show notes, you can find the workbook and you can find the the brand new link that we just put out. So it's like a 90 plus pages. It's got tons of extra exercises, many like kind of short little things you can do each day to reflect on your, your role in gymnastics and what you want to improve. And then during launch week on this week, we are also going to be giving people a special access to a, a cultural Q and a with myself and Eva shoot for those that sign up this week before Sunday night when the, uh, the cart closes. And then also we're giving people a private uh, lecture excessively on this kind of stuff in personal development. And so we try just to give as much value as possible to people in this week who are checking it out. So uh, half off for this launch week. So if you want to check it out, I'd really appreciate the support in any way, shape or form, or just sharing it on social media with your friends too, as well would be great. So hope you all enjoy it. And uh, yeah, check out this podcast episode. All right. So in chapter three, we've been, you know, rolling through two chapters here. The first two chapters were, are hard. They are hard. And I think that I intentionally wanted to hopefully support people through those first two chapters. It's more about personal development and personal life and and kind of like auditing what's going on in your life and what are your fears? What are your insecurities? What are some unhealthy habits you have? How do we change them in the second chapter? How do we have a better, clear vision on what matters to us? Why we're doing this work in gymnastics? what we can do to improve our own personal life and our personal happiness first, that we bring the best version of ourselves into whatever gym or operation we work in, right? Whether it's a coach, a parent, a medical provider, an athlete themselves, bringing a better version of yourself to the gym is the number one way to improve the culture, right? Like if you're bringing your own baggage to the personal life and things like that into the gym, it's very hard to you know, have a lot of empathy and emotional regulation and and actually deal with real problems in the gym that are hard, that are very, very hard and require work. So we have to bring the best version of ourselves to the gym to have the energy, the time, the work, the mental ethic, the conversation skills and things like that to actually get things going here. And so that's what this chapter is about. Chapter three, if you missed the first two chapters, strongly recommend you maybe pause that, go back, listen to one and two. They're only about 20 minutes. I made them a little bit shorter on purpose to help people get through them faster. But essentially like, what are we going to do now that we have those first two things together to step into the gym and talk about what are we going to actually improve on? What what matters most in this baseline level of understanding for a healthy culture and or changing a culture that's toxic into something more healthy? Like what do we have to do from the personal development point of view and the communication point of view, the relationship, stuff like that. And for me, this all starts with trust, right? Like trust is the absolute bedrock in which I think all the best cultures that I've worked with um, have. And so I've been very fortunate to spend time, you know, deep immersion, multiple days with 
college programs or club programs or elite programs or uh, national bodies and stuff like that, that I think are amazing cultures, right? Like really are supportive and they're fantastic and they do the right thing and they're working hard. They're extremely successful on a competitive stage, but also a personal development life stage. The people they work with, the athletes they work with, they're very happy and they're enjoying the grind. And so it's like, what are, what are the base level common denominators that all these people that I've either talked to on the podcast or have talked to in real life have? And I promise you that it's trust, right? Like there's a genuine sense of trust between everybody in their gym, the parents, the coaches, the medical providers, the athletes, they all know that at a base level, they care about each other as humans first before the gymnastics goals. They understand that they have to be willing to trust each other in their decisions, their professions, the medical providers know exactly what they're talking about. And although we have some rocks to get through, they, they really do know what they're doing. And I can trust them as a coach to, to give me good advice, right? Coaches have to be able to trust the gymnasts that they're going to follow through and do the work. Gymnasts have to trust coaches. Parents have to trust coaches with their kids. You know, parents have to trust other parents that they're kind of working together and giving the best information. The club owner has to trust the coaches that they're giving them good information. The club coaches have to trust the actual head coach to know they're making the best plans or the business owner to know that they're doing all the back end stuff to make things roll smooth. Like every possible relationship I can think about in this like geometrical 3D grid is trust. It's really like if you don't have that baseline level of trust, it's all just corrosive. It just falls apart because people are not willing to take your word on what you say you're going to do and they're not actually going to be able to feel like they can delegate or give responsibility or that you you have their back, right? Where when the going gets tough, that you're gonna stick it through with them when things get hard and you're not gonna run away when things get tricky. And for me, the power of trust is really built up through what I call the say-do gap, right? Like I've seen this play out so many times in, in places that I work with or like when I get to the root level of why they're upset, it's some version of like, well, they said they were going to do this and then their actions showed differently. They said they cared about the team. They said they cared about reducing injuries and listening to us and our, our, our mental health and caring about that. But when we got in the middle of practice and someone who was falling apart, they kind of diverted back to their shelled ways to like, we'll just get it done. You know what I mean? Like they just bounced that, that moment of, of need of, of understanding and communication off. And, you know, they say they care about, you know, X, Y, and Z with, you know, personal goals and whatever. They don't really, you know, scores do not make them happy or sad, but we get to the meet and they still blow up when things don't go well. It's like, okay, like you're, what you say you're doing and what you're actually doing are completely different things. And that gap, that distance between what you say you're going to do and what you actually do, again, back to your choices from chapter two, is that say do gap. And the more you can close that gap, the more trust you can build. And I love this concept from many other research studies and stuff is that it's not about these big, large, massive, grandiose moments of epicness, right? It's about very small, tiny micro moments. It's about the passing conversation, you say hello to someone and you ask them, hey, like, how was that test you said you were going to do? Like, I remember you said that was bothering you. And, you know, we talked about that and I wanted to follow up on that because I said I would, you know, like I said that I care about you as a personal life thing. And I know that school is stressful for you and that English is stressful for you and you had an English test. And so like I said, I was going to follow up with that. And I actually followed up with it. Not like you prompted me or needed me to, to kind of come back through on it. Like I actually said I was going to be there. And like, there are a bajillion examples of this. Like I think of the most classic example of how this falls apart, which is something that's a big pet peeve of mine, is like, I'm going to spot you and then you pull your hand away. Like, oh, you did it on yourself. It's like, okay, it's not about the spot. It's about the trust. It's about you said that you were going to spot me and you actually spotted me. If you say you're going to spot me and then you pull your hand away and you're not there, how do I know next time? How can I trust you when we do another thing that you're going to be there? How do I know you're just going to pull the rug from out and try to trick me? Like a lot, like a lot of little things like that are what matters. And 
if you, there's like so many great examples. Like you say that you're going to, you care about the team and you want to make good drills. You want practice to be organized, but you're flying in at the, like literally as the clock strikes four o'clock for practice without a practice plan, you're kind of just throwing stuff together on the whiteboard. You don't really have a plan. Like you can't say you care about organization and that kind of stuff. And then just like show up barely on time and not know what to do. Right. Like once in a while life happens, I get it. But like consistently that's not showing that you actually care. And so you know, trust takes years to build and moments to break, unfortunately. And so I think this is an example where if you want to really start building great trust between you and the athletes and coaches, or, you know, you're a parent and your coaches, like you have to actually say you're going to do things and then do them. Like, and, and I think many of the times when I see people who I respect the most and have the best cultures, it's more of what they don't do that, that speaks volumes, right? Like when they actually say they're going to do something, but they don't do the 40 other things that they could have done instead. They say they're going to show up on time. They say they're going to do it and they choose to not do all the other things that would distract them and just solely focus on that one thing. It's very, very potent and very, very important. And so trust is 100% the start and you need to audit that. You need to audit like what percentage of time do I actually follow through and do all the little things, right? From showing up early to making a drill circuit, to having a hard conversation, to saying I'm going to, uh, you know, take care of myself and sleep better so I have more emotional regulation at practice to actually doing that night after night after night. You need to be able to audit those things for you about like, okay, am I actually following through on that stuff? So the first part of chapter three is how to build that trust. And the second piece is the absolute, you know, partner to this is communication. Like all that trust and all that rapport and all that really great vibe doesn't go anywhere unless you have great communication and a lack of communication or improper communication is the fastest way to go back to that broken trust and that lack of, you know, say do gap kind of being fulfilled. So again, back to the spotted thing, you say you're going to spot, you don't spot. That's a communication thing. You communicated that you're going to be there and you're going to spot that athlete. When you don't, that's a say do gap and your communication was broken, right? Another one that comes up quite a bit with parents and stuff like that is when there's a problem going on and instead a parent, instead of like in a proper way, approaching communication channels, they'll text a coach at 11 o'clock on a Friday night, flipping out on Facebook messenger or something like that is an inappropriate communication channel, right? Like it goes back to the gym to have, to have clear communication channels and understand like, this is how you can text. This is how you can call. This is when you can call. These are the boundaries that we have, all that kind of stuff. Here's the WhatsApp messenger, not personal Facebook stuff. Like you have to have those in place, but parents need to really understand the proper methods and approaches to communication and vice versa. Coaches need to actually take time to communicate to parents and, and teach them about gymnastics, teach them about their child's gymnastics career and what's going on because nobody likes to be blindsided, right? So this is a two-way street between parents and, and I think communication and between parents and coaches is probably the biggest example of this is like, you know, if you're not consistently having face-to-face, eye-to-eye conversation and you understand how to be empathetic and how to problem solve and how to, you know, critique ideas, not people like these are communication skills you need. So like the best gyms I've worked with have fluid, amazing, wonderful conversations, and they're not afraid to deal with real issues. Like they're not dancing around eggshells. They're not like, you know, saying it's one thing when it's really a deeper problem, they're willing to have challenging conversations, whether it's one-on-one or in a group and parents to coaches or, you know, coaches to athletes, medical providers to coaches, medical providers to parents, like all of these different rungs in the ladder the better the communication style is and the better habits they have also on the backbone of like, we can, we can say anything. We can talk to anybody about anything as long as it's professional and honest, right? Like you have to all be willing to have that common communication loop to get the best out of the athletes, to get the best out of the entire happiness of the coaches and people that work there as well. So communication is massively important. You have to set up specific channels for how to do that, which I go over in the book and you have to plan for those things. 
And now once we have these first two, trust is established, we're working on that. Communication is established, we're working on that. You have to then clear, like have very, very clear guidelines about your gym. Like, and this is where Eva is phenomenal with this and she taught me so much about this is that you need operational and cultural guidelines like books in print with exactly what's going on to reference, to teach people about when they're onboarded or when they're in part of the, the program to start, but also over years when you reference those things. How can you hold somebody accountable to a standard or to an expectation as an employee contract or a parent, you know, at a meet or a gymnast when they're at practice, if you've never actually told them and clearly had them agree upon the rules? Like, like it's crazy to me to think that people just punish people or bring people to like a, a problem, but they've never clearly articulated like, hey, you're not supposed to stand on the floor at a meet. You can't talk to the judges. Like, like, like if that's not written down and clearly articulated, like, which seems crazy to say out loud, people don't do that. How will someone know? How does a parent know? They don't have no idea. Like if I, you know, I always joke that if I have a daughter who has like a softball, you know, career or whatever, like I have no idea about softball. I don't know the rules. I don't know like what to do. Like I'm just showing up, you know? So most parents are wonderful. They're well-intentioned. They want to care about their kid. They just want to know what's going on and they don't understand that I have to be here at this time or sign up for this or I need a leotard or I need whatever. So like the operational handbook is like your, I would say it's like the hard tangible rules. It's like the, the, legal in the instruction manual for your gym, like employee contracts and attendance and pay rates and, you know, safety things and legal structure. It's like the hard and fast rules you need to run a business safely and properly and get people educated. Like when is tuition due? When are the meets due? Like what's the fee? Like people need to know these things, right? Like what do we do with employees who don't show up to work or people who call out sick without like a replacement or, you know, don't wear their staff shirt or whatever. Like what is the actual process for those things to handle? You need to write them down, have them articulated in a book that you can reference and then it makes it easier when those things come up because you're referencing the things that you both agreed upon, the common set of things you agreed upon. It's not one person attacking a second person. It's not like a boss attacking an employee. It's like, listen, you signed a contract that you would be there on time and you would wear your staff shirt and you wouldn't be on your phone and you would have lesson plans ready. You are not fulfilling the contract. Like we have a social agreement and you signed here that this is how you get paid. And so we're going to have a warning and a write-up for the first one. And we're going to find a way if there's a skill set you don't have, if you need help making lesson plans, if you need... Uh, better time management skills. If you need something, if the schedule's too much, like we'll work on that. But like, this is a contract we agreed upon. It's in writing and we both signed it and it's the thing, right? So like, it's easier to have these conversations, communication and trust wise when the thing you're referencing is written in stone and you understand how. Now, the second part of this is more what I call like the soft aspect of running a gym and being a part of it or being a parent involved or whatever, which is like the, the common agreed upon social guidelines and the and the cultural tone you want. Like that's like, what do we care about? What things, what are the core values we believe in as a team? We believe in respecting each other. We believe in communication. We believe in hard work. We believe in trying to be the best versions of ourselves. We believe in serving the common good of the, of the gym by helping other people, right? These are like, more social constructs you deal with that you have to take time with. Maybe it's the whole gym has their own mission statement and stuff, but generally it's in smaller groups, like of the competitive team or of the rec program or of the coaching staff getting together about like, what things do we care about? Like, well, we care about communication and the rule that we're going to go, we're going to agree upon is that if you have a problem with somebody, you're not going to gossip about them. You're not going to talk behind their back. You're not going to post discreetly on Facebook about some weird, you know, cryptic version of something happening at your gym. You're going to take that thing to your direct person you have a problem with or an issue with, and you're going to empathetically say like, hey, there's something we need to talk about and I'd like to have it in a personal space so it's not weird. Would you mind coming in 15 minutes early to practice so we can just just hash this out, right? Like 
that is an agreed upon rule that we're going to have in our coaching staff that we are going to handle our problems between us, not on social media. And if that is one piece of it, maybe the second piece of it is, okay, if that doesn't work and that person doesn't really understand it or get it or they're defensive or they don't want to accept any responsibility, I will just send that up to the next person in, in my leadership role, which is maybe a head coach or a gym owner. And the three of us will have a conversation and we will, we will neutrally find this solution. Okay. So like those are social guidelines and social constructs on how to deal with that. But you have to take time to make your cultural guidelines and write them down and have them in a book that like, hey, we agree that this is important to us. We value education. So we're going to keep learning 30 minutes per day. We value communication. So we're going to have these conversations. We value personal uh examples and setting a good example for the kids. So we're going to take care of ourselves too. We're not going to bring, you know, sodas into practice or eat junk food on the floor. That's a personal life thing. We're going to try to set a good example. So like you agree upon those things as a coaching staff or with the kids or with whatever, and that's what becomes your cultural guidelines to lean on. So you have your operational guidelines then you have your cultural guidelines, right? That's a very important thing to kind of create and, and set a framework for like what matters to us. How are we going to handle these things when they come up? And then you write those things out, you have them down. Okay. The next part of chapter three is along layers of this, which is all those things, trust, communication, guidelines, in order to have really good success there requires learning and education. Like how do you know what to think about or talk about or, or write down? Like you have to study these things. You have to read books. You have to listen to podcasts. You have to go to clinics. You have to go to congresses to learn technique and all that kind of stuff. You have to be able to have the skill set of learning how to learn, right? Like the, the ability to consistently be a lifelong learner. I hope it's something that is valuable to everybody, but that has to be part of your culture. The best cultures I've worked with are voraciously, consistently, always trying to learn. They're trying to learn about themselves. They're trying to learn about the athletes, new techniques, new drills, new skills, new research. They're always doing something to try to personal and professionally get better, right? And the best coaches are the ones who are willing to take what they know and they're confident in that. They want to have those things, but they also are constantly seeking out other experts or other professionals or people inside of gymnastics that can teach them more about their skill set. So, you know, parents learning about the sport itself and their and the athletes and things like that, coaches with technique and mental health and education, nutrition, all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, medical providers, obviously like all these people, the athletes themselves learning how to cope with stress and anxiety and competition fears or what to do with their personal life. These are all things that are baseline levels of education. So you have to create systems to keep learning yourself, but then also make that a cultural value you hold is that we're always learning. We're always trying to get new updated ideas and build that into your practice, whether it's 30 minutes per day, whether it's one time per week, whether it's going to Congress once per year, whatever else that is, you have to make a plan for that and stick to it. Okay. And the last thing in chapter three, which I think is vital is to wrap this up is the ability to know how to create systems for all these things to be executed upon. Okay. So the system of how do we communicate well? What are the channels we communicate well with? We go to step one is that we have a problem with someone. We talk to them face-to-face for 15 minutes in a private meeting. What's the next system if that doesn't work? We, we escalate that up to a, a team leader, right? Or a head coach. Okay, what's the system if that doesn't work? We escalate that up to the head coach or whatever. What's the system for that? If it, if it really gets through all three channels, it's not working, things aren't going well. The system is we ask, is this a good fit? Do I need to make a decision about where to go, what to do? And so everything can be systemized to make your life easier. So for your personal life, you know, I recommend systemizing your own things around health. You know, I, I joke about a, a Friday adulting system that I have where every two weeks, you know, like, or every week I, depending on the week, um, I have a system for what I do for two hours on Friday mornings of like groceries and laundry and gas and, you know, trash and like the whole, the things in my life, I need to just maintain, clean my apartment, do whatever so that I can then go on to the weekend and be with my friends and my family, not be worried about that kind of stuff. Okay. So all of those things are systems, but there's also systems you can use in the gym to help with really hard problems that you are oftentimes a big problem in your culture, right? Like 
uh, I give an example where uh, competing was a really hard thing. Like, how do we know when kids are ready to compete upgraded skills or move up in level and compete? Like, what are the systems we have for moving kids up? What are the systems we have for um, getting kids from pre-team to team? What are the systems we have for competing a new skill safely, right? And one of them is like the rule of seven. Like we had a problem with, we weren't really clear about like, when are we ready to compete a skill? When are we not? So parents were curious. Why are they not competing? Why are they scratching? Why are they not doing their upgraded set? The athletes were like, why can't I flip my souk or whatever? And then we realized that we weren't clear about the systems. I wasn't clear about the systems, right? About like, okay, well, this is what needs to happen. So we made a, a kind of a, a system or a rule of seven, which is, okay, every week, during a meet week, if the meet's on Saturday, you need to show us seven times minimum that you can do this skill in a routine on a competition setting with no spot, salute front to back, period, right? Like if you can't do that seven times safely and not need someone to spot you or get really worried to have a mental breakdown or like, you know, stand there for 30 seconds on the beam, it's not ready yet. It's okay. We still love you. It's all amazing. But like, it's a safety thing. It's not quite ready yet. When we go to a new gym with a new situation, a new pressure setting, it's not safe. And so on three separate days prior to the meet, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Monday, Tuesday, whatever, you have to show that seven times across those settings. It can't be all seven in one day. It's like two, three, two or whatever when we do meets or run-throughs so that when we go to the mock meet the day before the meet, when we do a meet run-through, you're fresh, you're good. You can warm up, compete and go back and down. And that eliminated just so much problems, right? Like so much problems because everybody was explained to the parents agreed upon it. The kids agreed upon it. The coaches agreed upon it. And it wasn't even like a conversation like, Oh, well, what can I do at this time? It's like, did you do seven, three days in a competition setting with no spot? Completely fine. Yes or no. And it was like, if it's yes, yes. If it's no, we're not doing it. Okay. So that was a really important thing. And I'll caveat that you have to actually follow through and you have to actually execute those things. If you go through all that kind of stuff, and again, you communicate that that's what's going to happen, but then you kind of last second buckle and you let that person flip a souk when they're kind of five or six and one was kind of sketchy. Well, you broke all that trust, right? Because now how do people know your word is bond when you go forward? Okay. So you can see hopefully how all these things are layering. I tried my best to really think a lot about the layers and the planning of this to make it the most kind of accessible, but that is essentially chapter three in a nutshell. It's like thinking about like, okay, trust and communication and the systems that we're using, the absolute way we're going through education, the way we're trying to think about making sure that, you know, we have this kind of mindset of continuously trying to think about what matters to us in our culture and how we're going to create the guidelines operationally and culturally to make sure that works. And that I think is those three chapters, I think are the most amount of benefit that you can see. Like if you really think about chapter one, two, and three of your personal life, what you can do to change, how to actually change those things. And then you have these hard conversations around trust, communication, systems, whatever, is this a good fit? Those three things alone, if they're actually executed upon for multiple months in a row and you do the work to kind of keep improving, I have seen that transform gyms completely, like completely. And I've seen it dramatically improve the happiness and the and the and the, the performance level of the coaches, the athletes, the, the healthcare providers working with them. Like it really does make a massive difference if you just execute on those three things. And so that is kind of the first starting point for these three in the next uh, podcast. We'll talk about chapter four, which then starts to think about like, okay, like we have this great base. What about the actual gymnastics? <laughs> like what about the back to the technical stuff? Like you can, Back to chapter or podcast one, I talked about how people come to me with technical problems. They think it's a technical problem of drills and skills and exercise and circuits. I highlight for them that maybe it's more of something deeper. They talk about cultural problems. They tend to blame other people. And then once we get through that layer, then we kind of get down to the personal level stuff. So the reverse order of fixing that is the personal level stuff first, which was one and two, the baseline cultural foundations in three. And then now we're going to talk about the actual technical stuff about like drills and skills, progressions, practice plans, motivation, all that kind of stuff in chapter four with athlete foundations. So 
If you've been enjoying this and you like it, I would really love to have you pick up the book and work through the exercise. It's like 90 pages. I work my butt off on it. Um, there's 25 exercises in there that are very helpful and are step-by-step with templates and we give everybody blank templates. Also remember during launch week, if you're listening to this, we get access to a live Q&A on culture that gymnastics or gymnastics culture that Eva and I are doing together um, to kind of help people out even more. And there's also a free lecture I'm going to put up to as well as a free bonus. So trying to give people everything they possibly need to truly make meaningful impacts here, whether it's a book and workbook and exercises or tools and, you know, communication things or a Q and a, or a lecture. Like I'm trying to make sure everybody has what they need to be successful here. So would love if you guys check out the, uh, link down below in the show notes, or just head on over to shifts homepage, just shiftmovementscience.com. You'll see it right there on the front page, but check out the book, uh, super discounted this week, 50% off. So, uh, hope you all enjoy it. And then we'll go through chapter four in the next one. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to that episode. I hope that you really enjoyed it and got a lot of value out of it. I just want to let you know before we sign off here that a couple things we'd love for you to do. So one is please just make sure that you rate and review the podcast on iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher, wherever you're listening, because that really does help the episode grow quite a bit. And then second, if you really enjoyed this episode, we would love if you left us a review as well and told us what you liked about it. You know, what information was useful, what things were not useful, would you like to know more about, what guests do you want to have on in the future? And then also as you kind of go about your day, if you found something really useful, just toss it up on social media. We love to hear from people on Instagram or Twitter or, you know, all the different websites that they're using for social media. Facebook is great too. But yeah, let us know what you like because honestly, the podcast comes from people who just tell us what they're finding useful and that's how we create the next set of content. So yeah, tag us in the podcast or tag us online, whatever you're doing it and uh, let us know what you think. Thanks.